Hi everyone, welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture with a geeky bed. Uh, I'm joined as ever by my co-host Chris. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well, Steve. How are you today? Um, I'm very excited. I'm very excited <laughs> for, for well, I'm, I'm excited in general. Like Life mm-hmm. is just a box of chocolates and every day I get to have another one is kind of how I approach life. Good. But I'm also excited because we have reached the terminus. We have reached full circle on part of our journey that's a mix of horrible metaphors that don't make sense yeah and we'll just leave it there i write for <laughs> I, I write for a living uh just so you know <laughs> uh, and what do i mean by all this well cast your mind back dear listener when we started this way back in january 2017 we we told a tale in our first ever episode about how uh as teenagers or at least i was a teenager uh chris we swapped uh passions um mm-hmm. Doctor Who, for me, I watched one of your uh, Doctor Who's, and I made you watch my favourite TV show, which was Babylon 5, uh-huh. and the episode was uh, one of my favourites, which had not long aired, which was in season three, and it was called Severed Dreams, and we, we spoke about it on the preview uh, podcast about how we decided to start doing this, and a few episodes ago, uh, I got you into Babylon 5, you watched the pilot, you enjoyed it, and uh, well... Chris being Chris, you did you. You started watching everything in order. Uh-huh. And you've consumed it as quickly as possible and now already you are at you're at the episode that we watched as as teenagers. Mm-hmm. And it's a very exciting moment here in the podcast. <laughs> I've got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Uh mainly because it's just fun to kind of go back around it and see and see what you think about this after all this time. Uh uh-huh. also it kind of just fits into our mission statement nicely, Chris. So I mean, first off, off the bat, I mean, do you rem- do you remember sitting down to watch this? Did did memories come flooding back as you were watching this? Now, you know, Steve, I've got a pretty exceptional memory. Uh, there's very few things that, that escape it. It's an outstanding uh, memory. It's an outstanding memory, it must be said. I've got to say, a lot of the pertinent details uh, went out of my brain, and, and watching this was was more or less like watching it for the first time so none of the plot elements came back to me at all um and i think i know why that was uh, i'll probably address that a little bit later uh but i think there were a few images um that sort of when i saw them i was like mm, yeah that's the one uh and and it's difficult to pick them out a lot of the time because obviously the aesthetic of the show doesn't change a huge amount episode to episode um but uh i think specifically the captain uh of of the ship that we see right at the start of the episode um uh him and his his sort of first mate or second in command um seeing them kind of jogged some memories uh and i've um yes i i had some vague vague memories i don't remember it being so action-packed uh, I don't remember it being quite s- having so much happen, um, and yeah, so v- very few memories, all told. Yes, I remember. I seem to remember we were on the couch uh, in our family home. Uh, I think even the the curtains may have been drawn to darken the mood slightly. Yeah, uh, that's important. You got to do that. Exactly. It may have been spring or summertime or something like that, and we we whacked it on. 
and uh, i remember you being fairly nonplussed about it all and and certainly (laughs) certainly you didn't have uh, the context of over three seasons or two and a bit seasons rather Mm -hmm. of the show to go through so um so chris now that you've rewatched it all now that you've you've watched it in order with everything else you you can now splurge you know like two plus seasons worth of knowledge on me uh, (laughs) and we can and we can discuss it uh, with the world as well so what did you think uh yeah pretty super pretty super it's pretty super isn't it i can see why you picked this episode um so obviously we should say just to be 100 percent clear there will be some spoilers from here on out so uh if you'd listened to our previous babylon 5 episode and you thought maybe you were going to give it a try you might want to just go ahead and pause this one uh just just put it on the shelf until you get to the episode of severed dreams which is roughly halfway through season three um with that in mind spoiler warning in place yes so the first thing i want to say is you steve you had an impossible task in Mm -hmm. two ways when we did this cultural exchange the first one was as i said i was always going to be an asshole and i was not going to enjoy it no matter what yep so nothing nothing you could have picked would have sufficed the second problem uh you faced is that babylon 5's biggest strength is its sort of serial nature um lots of massive arcs and plot threads were woven throughout the seasons Mm -hmm. uh and a lot of them culminate in this episode which is obviously why you picked it yeah um that being said if you watch this episode like i did devoid of context you either need a primer beforehand to explain (laughs) what's going on uh, which is a lot or you just have to kind of take things from context clues and the overall impact of what's happening will inherently be lessened so i think while we had quite an easy time with star trek where we said boom here are like five episodes from each series that are uh, the top you should watch those they're fantastic you'll love them in and of themselves um babylon 5 has less of that because any given episode or almost any given episode i feel like i could say yeah pretty great but i wouldn't just watch it in isolation because it won't make any sense so Mm. to understand that you have to watch the preceding however many episodes and pretty much you have to have watched everything from about the end of season one to this midpoint of season three to really appreciate the impact of everything that happens in severed dreams oh yeah so uh... (sighs) yeah you're right and the reason why i picked it all those years ago was it's such a great episode and I thought that I would have enough action in it that mm-hmm. you'd be able to at least enjoy it on a... Because all I was trying to do back <laughs> then, Chris, was to actually just get you to admit you were wrong. Like, it was that, never going to happen. And, you, <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and it was never going to happen. Despite, yeah. I mean, I could have... I could have put on Schindler's list. And you went, oh, it's a bit shit, isn't it, mate? It's all black and white. Oh, yeah, why was it black but, and white? Why was that girl in red? That didn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like, oh, what's the candle mean? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I could never have got you to, to admit it. But I tried to, to pick this one, even though it was rich in mythos with uh, a lot of action. Mm-hmm. So we should explain a little bit here that Babylon 5, TV sci-fi, Space Station in Space, Last Best Hope for Peace, and two seasons and a bit in, this is where it basically all goes to fucking shit. And mm-hmm. 
huge clusterfucks abound uh basically a human civil war kicks off um and babylon 5 secedes from the earth alliance as it's called uh think starfleet if you're having trouble uh-huh. and um a big a big a big rammy happens uh, <laughs> outside of, of babylon 5 <laughs> um so chris as you said like there's a lot going on and you're, you're remembering there about the past but talk to me about what you thought about the episode now in context so uh, obviously you liked it obviously it was action-packed but i mean it's a huge total shift for the series at this point with a huge amount of consequences for uh our characters and that's one of the reasons why i've always loved babylon 5 is that they as you said there's a strong serial nature but these characters grow uh, they uh, face actions they have to take responsibility for and there's consequences to those actions and mm-hmm. this is really the culmination of two seasons worth of those uh, both externally happening to them as well as what they've done so Sheridan uh, at this point has basically went from the ardent military man to a non-believer to uncovering a conspiracy and, and seceding Babylon 5 from the Earth Alliance uh, Delenn has broken the Grey Council, which was something that she always aspired to be in, and the ruling, uh, the the ruling parliament, if you will, of the Minbari. She's broken it, and she's coming to onto the the side of the humans in this this fight. Um, not to mention, of course, what's happening with station security and the Narn. I mean, Chris, uh, what did you just think about taking all those in? It it was it was pretty breathtaking. It's the sort of thing that any other show would have saved for the finale. Um, and it, it kind of makes me think, like, well, what the hell is coming next? Like, where where do we go from here? It's such a massive kind of crescendo. Um, and, and yeah, like you say, I mean, this is this is the culmination of, of everything that's been happening. I think, you know, very, very early in the show's run. I think it's the, about end of season one, start of season two. Yeah. Um, the Earth president dies. And we're fairly certain that there was a plot to assassinate him. And mm-hmm. as the show goes on, it becomes clear... And our characters uncover the fact that it was actually the vice president who who was behind it all, and you know all all of a sudden they they become sort of conspirators, and there's a lot of you know a lot of stuff happening on Earth, and they're 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 yeah they're trying trying to deal with all that, and so obviously this is this is a massive culmination of that with them seceding, with them making a stand and kind of coming out of the shadows where they've kind of been almost plotting in secret uh, and mm-hmm. and 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 trying to keep it to themselves so yeah it was it was pretty breathtaking the action was amazing um you mm. know the cg at this point the last time we discussed it it was pretty pants uh the cg at this point cg at this point is much much better um and and so as you say it, it culminates in this massive fight uh where yeah earth faces earth and it's it's this really perfect sort of constant it's this sort of constant topsy-turvy you don't really know where you are it looks like the sort of the b5 crew have just about weathered the storm and then all of a sudden a whole shit ton of earth cruisers turn up and are basically like you've lost yeah uh and then some minbari kind of come out of nowhere <laughs> and <laughs> Obviously, again, in secret, we've kind of had this alliance between, you know, some Mimbari and some Earth, specifically Delenn and Sheridan kind of being like at the head of that. 
but this is the first time that the Mimbari have kind of, as a race, stood side by side with Earth, which obviously is a massive, significant moment. Um, sure. And and the Narn are also kind of in there as well, obviously taking over for the Earth Force security due to the massive events of the previous episode, which was already pretty mind blowing, as as it was. Um, that was kind of the first time they'd made a stand against things, but in more of a officious <laughs> kind of manner. Absolutely, and to set the scene a little bit, this is actually in a, in a way it's the third part of a three parter. Mm where things really gear up. So there's messages from Earth, which I actually really like that episode. And that's where Ranger uh, Marcus Cole brings this person in from Earth who starts to unravel more the conspiracy for them. And they actually take a secret journey to Mars, or actually to Jupiter, Mm -hmm. to stop a shadow ship, which Earth are trying to deploy. And it's kind of the point where Sheridan knows he's going to have to, he's going to have to take up arms against his own government. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously these ships are then on their way to uh to, to take down babylon 5 yeah and you know as well there's just so much so much character growth like yes. it's so rich and uh, it's it's, frustra- it's it's frustrating to me that i watched it before and and couldn't really see that i mean i would have never really have been able to see it and appreciate it um but all these characters have gone on a massive journey you know as you say sheridan has kind of has had a had a massive arc and the episode kind of ends with him being like you know uh, i'm not really ready to put that uniform back on yet not until this is all done and resolved um and Mm. there's you know we've kind of seen jacquard has had this kind of move from you know almost like a almost like a terrorist or like you know almost part of you know part of like the underdogs yeah uh, i guess as it were to becoming kind of dominant over their previous masters uh, and then through Londo's actions becoming uh, once again completely subjugated and seeing him just kind of uh, broken. Um, he loses his position as, as an ambassador. Uh, he ends up in jail and <laughs> pretty much just seems at his lowest ebb and he's kind of gone through a bit of a spiritual awakening and kind of realized that the only way to move forward is just to forget all the shit everything that's passed it's like a religious know. awakening for for jacquard and the episodes that like up to this exactly and it's it, it it's kind of this this moment where he's he's starting to turn you know to to sort of turn to his people and say this you know we can't just say we've been fucked over by the centauri again we must swear vengeance it's, it's never going to work it's it's just going to keep going back and forth and the only way we're going to move forward is we if we are the first ones to say screw it we're moving on uh because we've got bigger fish to fry uh essentially um well and what's quite interesting as well is even though this is the culmination of so many things there's still seeds that are being sown for what's still to come you know this has Mm. been uh pretty much the culmination of the earth plot i suppose where earth has been going more and more towards a totalitarian uh you know regime to the point where they call you know they they invoke martial law um, but you know we've still got the shadow, the shadows kind of rising and forming, and you know we've just found out I think in this episode or possibly the last that they're actually making alliances, um, yeah. and they're kind of acting in the open now, whereas before they've been acting through agents and and, and mystery and intrigue. Um, but yeah. yeah, pretty all all in all, a pretty fucking phenomenal episode. Um, 
you know, everything delivers. And I think that's what's what I've really enjoyed about watching Babylon Five. You don't, you don't ever feel like, oh, they kind of that kind of went nowhere. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, they they picked that up and then they just sort of put it down again. And so much of modern television, I feel, is like that. Even even shows I love, even even shows I could I could see hours and hours of good things about, like um, Mad Men would would be a prime example for me, where every now and again I'll just think. There was a whole episode about something, and it really seemed like it was going somewhere, and then it just disappeared, and it seemed important at the time. But when I rewatch it, or when I come back to it, I think, no, mm. not at all. Um, and, yeah. and of course, you made reference previously to J.J. Abrams and his habit of saying, "Look at this. What's in the box? This is yeah. mysterious. You know, could be something, could not be." The horse in the jungle, where'd that come from? Um, and, you know, just <laughs> thinking, let's just give him a mystery and we'll maybe pay it off at some point or maybe we'll just say it was all, you know, wishy-washy, timey-wimey stuff and you don't really need to worry about it. Um, we'll, we'll come up with, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, seems to be the feeling of a lot of showrunners. Um, and obviously, you know, J. Michael Straczynski had very, very tight creative control uh, over this show and it just feels like nothing's wasted you know yeah. that nothing nothing gets set up and then and then not paid off in some way and you know we really feel you know you like you say it's it's about it's it's a show about consequences um mm. sometimes good sometimes bad <laughs> uh and and this this is a prime example of that you know this is the consequence of you know people standing up to their government you know which is kind of very relevant in our current political hey, climate. Hey, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. Well, go. I, not, not, I was going to, I mean, I was just joking along with you, but uh, holding truth to power is incredibly important, especially nowadays. Um, we're seeing that uh, in our headlines right now um, as, we, as we're recording this, uh, whether it be in across in America or here in Britain. It's more important than ever that you know journalists you know fight the good fight and and that people hold these these politicians and other people in power accountable and that is as you said this is what really this all boils down to is um sheridan having to, to take off his jacket and and fight his own people fight his own um comrades and you have that you know there's so many great scenes in this episode one great one is obviously the almost obligatory where sheridan says you know we're, we're going to do this. If you want to walk away now, I won't hold it against you. And, you know, a couple of people leave. And even Lieutenant Corwin, who's one of these background characters who always turns up, yeah. uh, he's, he, he gets his little moment in the in the limelight as well as he kind of sticks around and joins them. Yeah, and, just, and that, again, had been shows... a previous plot point as well where they'd, they'd kind of talked about him in a sort of, can we trust this guy? You know, he yeah. seems nice enough, but when it's crunch time will he back us up and they actually come to the conclusion he probably won't um and it's yeah. quite a sad moment that um is i think it's a few episodes back maybe three or four episodes back um and it's actually really it's so well done because that specific moment is entirely non-verbal it is literally a look from sheridan to vanova that says so <laughs> and uh, just a very sort of sad shake of her head to say i, I don't think he's gonna you know, do it. You know, all entirely non-verbal, top face acting. 
top face acting. <laughs> you love a spot of face acting. I We've love a bit of face acting. <laughs> that's that's what you go to Juilliard <laughs> for. That's 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 what real actors do. If you can get through a forty-five minute episode with only so many words, you're on board, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're on my team that's what i say um <laughs> well that's actually strange because of course uh, joe is not afraid of giving his actors some verbose speeches mm. i like joss whedon really you know he he'll make a good monologue for you mm. um sheridan has a few of them ivanova has a few of them but there are some kind of top moments like that that you know kind of speak to to this importance of, of holding truth to power and uh, b5 is one of the best you know the whole the whole five run uh, the whole five-year run of the show is yes it has lots of cool space battles and politics and intrigue and all that stuff but you know ultimately it comes down to are you willing what are you willing to do and are you willing to bear the responsibility uh for your actions what what i like about it what what feels like it's just hitting the kind of hitting the spot for me right now is it feels like it's not afraid to let bad things happen to its characters Mm. um so you know again that's just remarkable for this time in television you know for the 90s early 90s no less when pretty much every show would hit the magic reset button at the end of the episode and not only would characters not grow but nothing permanently bad could really happen to them um and you know at the same time now i feel like sometimes we've almost got the opposite problem like if you're watching a show like game of thrones and something good happens well, you're just like, okay, so, okay, come on. Who's going to stab him in the back? Right. Where is it? Where's the poison? You, no one, no character is allowed to be happy in this show, and we know that. And even more so than in the, the books of Game of Thrones, it's characters constantly getting kicked in the balls all the yeah. time. And so much so that it's almost predictable because you just know, yeah. I, I know that this can't be happy. You're not fooling me. Maybe you had me in yeah. season one, a little bit in season two, but by this point, I'm quite cynical when I watch it. Um, <laughs> and and it's almost kind of too far in the other direction. Like, okay, yeah, I know you're not afraid to kill people, but did I have to watch that torture scene? Did I yeah. really have to see that beloved character getting sexually assaulted? Yeah. Maybe I didn't. Maybe maybe this is just gross. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and and the, one that, the one that sticks out to me nowadays, actually, to the point of almost going too far in the opposite direction is is the walking dead where um a lot of people still watch it amazingly amount, amounts of people still watch it and yet i just I, I tried for so long and then had to give up on it because it was basically just it was just it was just torture porn at, mm. at times was just setting it up so that character's gonna die that character's gonna die and you would know that apart from four or five core characters everyone else would die what i liked about babylon 5 was that here would introduce characters uh they weren't safe but they weren't necessarily in mortal danger getting tortured killed every week it was more you will bear responsibility for your actions therefore if you're going to be the noble hero you might die and yeah. if you're going to be the bad guy then you might get whatever but you also might not this might not be death it just might be you're written off the show and uh, at this point in the run we've already seen the original commander replaced more for uh off show matters rather than mm-hmm. in the, the, the story they had to kind of rejig that um as well as uh, talia winters the the, the telepath she's yep. gone uh, and we've seen the introduction of new characters like ranger cole uh, as well and one of the um one of the funny things about this episode chris is that general alexander who was introduced um with sheridan i think it's season two 
uh-huh. um, is written out of the show um, and killed off screen in this episode because, and you've, you've, I don't know if you know this, but the actor had been booked to appear in the episode uh-huh. and, <laughs> and he ditched them for an episode of Deep Space Nine, a two-parter. <laughs> uh, called Homefront and Paradise Lost, which <laughs> which are great episodes actually, which are great so... episodes. But Robert Foxworth, the actor, basically ditched B five to return. This was going to be his last episode. He wasn't going to necessarily get killed, but this was the last episode for the character. So uh, they just killed him off screen, gave his lines to um, the major character, who uh, is another famous character actor, and that was it. <laughs> so. Straczynski said, "Well, don't don't f with the writer," and he just wrote yeah. about the show. But I, I always as, found that's a pretty baller story. move. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's pretty balls. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and it's, it's just uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, just to again outline just how good this this episode is. I mean, let's talk about the effects because, mm-hmm. as we said, you know, mid nineties. This this was a show that was made in an Amiga. At this point, it's a little bit better than an Amiga, um, but still, obviously, for our, our 21st century eyes it's still pretty basic but i was amazed even then chris of the just the, the sheer number of shots that the sheer number of space battle shots and green screen stuff and you know phaser effects and, and all that stuff yeah. there's so much going on in this 45 minute episode with regards to action and cg it's actually it's quite an incredible technical accomplishment especially when you consider it was 1997 it's just it's something you really didn't see because you know, up until this point, most of sci-fi was still putting its stock in models. Um, I mean, obviously, around this time, uh, obviously, DS9 and Voyager were kind of taking up the CG mantle as well. And much the same, obviously, they had a better budget, but much the same can be said, you know, that some of that held up, some of it didn't. Um, but, you know, it that's what allowed people to have the scope to have these really massive space battles um because you know obviously before you were limited to how many models you had and how many you could afford to destroy and you couldn't have them flying all over in different directions because you know the strings would get you know mixed up or the or the little they had little um they had a little pole didn't they there's like a pole underneath the the model and and they would just green they would just sort of edit that out so what they? they would do is they would actually do motion capture where they would mm. run the model on a like a track or something and then the camera or the camera would move around the model or whatever mm-hmm. and then they would do it um several different passes so with lights on without lights on different you know external factors so maybe like six or seven runs and that would be your beauty shot is is what yeah. they would call it and to be fair i still think even nowadays even nowadays in the 21st century nothing quite beats a model shot like a nice yeah. intricate model it's been passed over several times, you know, Industrial Light and Magic perfected it really with yeah. the old Star Wars. It's it, it's something much better, I think, than even the best CG nowadays, but that's a, yeah. that's a whole other podcast. But yes, I, so back to your point, Chris, yeah, you're right. It's uh, the versatility of computers really shows through in an episode like this. Yeah, and I think, I think the other thing is you feel like you've earned it. You feel like you've really earned this space battle because you don't get many, especially... I think there's only maybe been one other time <clears throat> in the show's run where we've seen Babylon 5 itself like deploy its guns, shoot its guns, actually be involved in, in a space battle. Uh, and it's because quite often there's that kind of last-minute diplomacy gambit just paid off 
you know, uh, because up until now, this felt like it's been a bit more of a kind of Cold War style tensions. Um, you know, there's been tensions with the Centauri. There's been tensions with uh, some rogue factions of Minbari before. And it's always just kind of ended and just, all right, we just kind of got out of that one. And the show does a good job at ramping up the tension and making you think, oh, actually, maybe maybe this is going to get resolved. Um, mm. So, you know, even when the fighters have been deployed, you know, um, Sheridan's still saying, he's like, don't be the first to fire. We're not going to start this, you know following his dad's advice don't start a fight end it which by the way is just a lovely character moment as well um yes a little calm before the storm moment where sheridan calls up his dad and is visibly quite pained to sort of be saying like this could be goodbye this could be the last time i talked to you for a while he's thinking maybe i'm gonna get banged up in jail maybe i'm gonna get killed i don't know what's about to happen to me but it's not gonna be good <laughs> and yeah you know his dad has this kind of recognition of I know what you're saying to me. You're going to be fine and, you know, keep your chin up, kiddo kind of stuff. It's a really nice moment. But yeah, so they have this this whole build up that really makes you think at any minute now, someone's going to call the dogs off or someone's going to blink. Yeah. And then again, you don't even see it. You just hear over the comms like, nope, they're loading up weapons. They've locked weapons. They're firing on us. People are dying. <laughs> and at that point, it's like, okay, and then we sort of kick into high gear. We see this massive space battle happening. I find the way the Star Furies move very satisfying. <laughs> um, they have this ability to sort of basically spin on their axis. So if they're facing one way, they just do a little thruster move and all of a sudden they're facing the other way, which of course would be a lot easier for a spaceship to do than any other kind of um, you know vehicle that we're familiar with on Earth. But I'd never seen any sci-fi show do that really. Yeah, um, and it's, it's it's one of the interesting things. Sci-fi, is, you know, Star Wars, or even Star Trek, we show you these ships going in long glacial paths or turning like a, a, a you know fighter would. But yeah. physics tells you that in a, you know in a zero g environment, you can spin on your axis. You just have to have the thrusters pointed in the right way. So that's how the Star Furies and B five are made. And actually, um, uh, J- the Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA, JPL, would actually um. Uh, look into those designs a lot and actually consulted with b5 not with b5 but with the spin-off show crusade but that's, uh-huh. a, that's a whole other podcast uh on on like the science of it because they often got the science like that incredibly accurate you know you wouldn't necessarily be sitting down like a jet plane you'd be standing up because you're launched and you're you're fighting completely in zero g so there's no need to sit down and there's no need to bank and long glacial paths you just turn in your axis so and it does make for a very pleasing aesthetic where you can have a, a literally a fighter flyby and then just spin 180 yeah. degrees and come back for more <laughs> but they do introduce the new uh, ships as well the thunderbolts mm-hmm. which are a bit more like the start uh, like the kind of well, almost like an x-wing with a pointed front and everything uh, that's that's we're going into a bit of inside baseball there, <laughs> but yeah but it is a very satisfying uh, space scene, Chris, especially with the the sacrifice of of one of the the commanders, and that was one of the scene that stood out for me was um, the way they would cut the rising action with the the actors in the studio, which is a bit difficult because B five is a bit cheap. Mm-hmm. So whereas the effects look really great, sometimes you go back to these effect these uh, these sets and you're like, oh, that's a bit it's a bit rickety, isn't it? It's a bit it's a bit wooden, but. You know the way they would cut some of the action scenes together really works well. The the Narn sacrificing themselves in slow motion with the, alongside their human 
mm-hmm. um, they're human security guards when people try to board the station with uh, landing pods um, all the way to uh, the major saying I think it was the uh, is it the Agamemnon or the Alexander yeah. I think it's the Alexander the Alexander um, telling them to go right down their throats and yeah. they, you see the big burst of the, the big thrusters you know in a close up pushing them towards the other ones because the earth cruisers are kind of very slow very monolithic they've got that big spinning gyro which again another thing i love in the design of the show mm-hmm. it's true to science they've got the spinning gyro in the middle to affect gravity to create a gravity just an incredible technical achievement all around that battle i think when you consider the budget when you consider the time frame when you consider the the year it was made you know, it's over 21 years now that that episode is made. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> it. It really, it, it, it really does stand up. And I think, I think again, there's this feeling afterwards of, in in the strangest possible way, I think what this show, the way the show makes me feel, uh, and this is about as high praise as I can give something, um, is much the same way I would feel the first time I watched Angel, um, which maybe we'll talk about at some point. Um, obviously. Uh, another part of the Whedon verse, but I think again, Angel was a show that managed to strike the balance of letting bad things happen to its characters, especially at kind of unexpected moments. But it wasn't a constant, as I say, you know, kick in the balls fest. Um, but you would often have these moments where you're kind of left thinking, "We won, did we? I don't <laughs> really." I don't really know what just happened there. <laughs> uh, and this is a similar kind of thing in general, in in terms of the battle, they're victorious, but they're not all like running around high-fiving each other or anything because they've just killed a bunch of their own people. Yeah. And while ultimately, yes, it was for a good reason, and, and it's it's constantly set in the backdrop, like this is brother against brother. Nobody's happy about what's happening here. Nobody wants to be fighting each other. Yeah. But it's the difference between will you follow orders blindly and follow the chain of command irrespective of the madness that you know to be behind it, or are you going to say enough is enough and stand up to it? Um, nobody's right and nobody's wrong. People have to die. And, and you know, it's it's kind of like... Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't just feel like, yay, yeah, we beat yeah. the bad guys. It feels like, oh, geez, well, there's, at least it's no, over. Yeah, there's no jubilation that they've had to fight their own people uh, to, to go through this. And you can see that Sheridan is a character, um, and Box Lightner, of course, what a pro. Just what a pro. Pros. What a pro. <laughs> just knocks it out of the park. Um, you can see the struggle on Sheridan's face, is, I guess, what I'm trying to get across uh-huh. that. He um, is really struggling with this idea that he has to take up arms against his own people and that he doesn't really want to fight them. He, he's constantly looking for ways to try and get out of it by explaining to them that this is illegal orders, um, yeah. which you kind of alluded to there. There's a scene where they kind of a general is kind of sending them a <laughs> a wink, wink message of yeah. these are illegal orders. You, you can't actually follow them, but they'll just be readdressed. And it's, it makes the action so much more satisfying when it's, it's linked to characters like that when it's linked to the uh, development of characters like that. So um, it, it's, it's just a fantastic episode. It won the 1997 Hugo Award, Chris, for yeah. Best Dramatic Presentation, which was the second year in a row it won. The Coming of Shadows in Season 2 won as well. And just for funsies, the the, the other act, the other movies and TV shows that uh, this episode beat Ooh, for Best fun. Dramatic Presentation, 
Star Trek First Contact, uh, Deep, Space, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, uh, Episode Trials and Tribulations. No way! Uh, the movie, yeah, the movie Independence Day, <laughs> and and the movie Mars Attacks. Now, as staunch a B five fan as I am, apart from maybe apart from Mars Attacks, <laughs> I have a really weird uh, feeling for Mars Attacks. I saw it in the cinema and was incredibly disappointed. And then I saw it on TV probably about a year ago, eight months ago, and it wasn't great, but it was better than I thought it was. It's a very weird black comedy, but mm. best dramatic presentation. I would have been disappointed if B5 hadn't beat most of those, to be honest with you. like, Yeah, I'm a bit, I mean, obje- it's difficult, isn't it? It's it's all told, you know, the the story and what it does for the show uh you know far outstrips first contact or trials and tribulations or anything else uh i suppose the difference trials and tribulations potentially deserves a look in just because it was a huge technical achievement it was an incredibly fun and interesting show it 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 gave us a new look at an old episode as well as uh you know letting old characters mingle with new ones and uh was obviously a great celebration of of uh what was it the 25th anniversary at actually that it was point? the 30th anniversary, the 30th yeah. anniversary of, and they did of use Star the Trek. same they did use the same technology as uh forest, forest gump. gump yeah uh and, and to great effect far better than the the voyager episode um that that did a similar oh, thing yes. but yes yes it was which was also good but you know not not quite as good i am surprised it beat out first contact though because that was commercially you know obviously a gigantic success Yes. Um, and I think it says that the people who do the Hugo Awards, like, they got a bit of backbone. They got some spine because <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing a few of them in the office were thinking we're going to get some flack for this. Babylon 5, no one watches Babylon 5. <laughs> like, the, like, if it was done on ratings alone, you know, or, or, you know, intake. Um... Well, just think, just think about this. So in late, we talked about this briefly before, Chris, but... 1990s early or late 1990s early noughties uh tv sci-fi uh-huh. and just, just off the top of my head we're talking about b5 there was also star trek's the next generation deep space nine voyager we had x files at the at when it was first and new we had uh millennium uh those guys span off and made uh, their own tv show space above and beyond mm. which uh, was which started at the same time as b5 and there's like another story there of uh rivalry shall we say yeah you then had kind of lesser sci-fi like farscape uh stargate and lex um and it's a true story about lex i remember actually being at a music festival i think it was v99 uh-huh. and uh i tried to get to sleep one night and the guy in the next tent started singing a song from lex i think we were the only two people at that festival who one got it and two were unashamed to admit it <laughs> was lex that- <laughs> The Canadian sci-fi that was on Channel 5 when Channel 5 first launched. <laughs> well, maybe it was just the fact that it was on Channel 5 and I let that shade my view, but I always felt it was kind of oddly kinky. It was a bit kinky, yeah. There was yeah. a lot of... Uh, uh, that lot always of, made me feel quite yeah. uncomfortable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got these strange urges in my my nether region, Steve. What's going on? It just, it just felt like... Yeah, I just felt like worlds are colliding here. I don't, want, <laughs> I don't, I don't, want, I don't want too much kink in my sci-fi. I like sci-fi to be a bit more sanitized. Um, 
that's a very i think that's a very star trek take on it like, yeah you know we're all equal there's no sex here let's not think about that it's not necessary we all need to be better than ourselves as opposed to <laughs> some of the other shows i read out there but it's never mind uh, but I think that just puts into perspective just, first of all, how, I mean, I didn't even touch on there, but the Whedonverse, you know, Buffy was launching at that time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just how much, how much of a glut on TV there was of, of that kind of sci-fi. So for, for an episode of B5, which as you said, was not like the most popular show. It was mm-hmm. on, here in the UK, it was on Sundays at six uh, for this season. For season three, it was on Sundays at six. And then season four, we moved to like Thursday nights at like tenish, <laughs> and uh, I see. I remember coming downstairs and actually like recording it because I recorded them all. Yeah. Uh, paused to take out the adverts. Of course, of course. Episode in right, yeah. so I can get four to three hour tape instead of three. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would do that until until it was uh, finished. Um, but just just I mean, how lucky we were! Like how lucky that it was so much of that kind of sci-fi on TV. Even nowadays with Netflix and stuff, you. The sci-fi tends to be almost like... I mean, we talked a bit about Game of Thrones and, and Walking Dead, but even the actual just pure sci-fi for a minute, um, outside of a few exceptions, it's quite... I think you call it quite grim, quite dark. Yeah. You know, like, even the... I don't know if you've seen the trailer, Chris. There's a new um, Lost in Space coming to Netflix by the time this drops. Yeah, I, I saw that. Um, and it looks, again, a little bit dark and a little bit moody and, and whatever, so... You know, compared to the 19th, it was a very different time. Sets were a lot brighter. Hell, I didn't even talk about Andromeda, Chris. Do you remember Andromeda? Oh, my God. Who could forget? Kevin Sorbo. Lexa Doig. Lexa Doig. She was in Jason X as well, which... uh... Yeah, another great (laughs) sci-fi. I hope that that won the Hugo Award that year. I don't think it did. (laughs) I don't think it could have, Chris. Yeah, no, um, I remember... um, I think what I remember best about Andromeda is you were you were uh, your first year of university when we were watching that. So you'd like yeah. you'd you'd come back, we'd watch an episode, uh, and then we'd discuss it on AIM. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and we'd be like, oh yeah, it's developing nicely. I like these new threads. I like how we're really getting into the Magok or the Nietzscheans. <laughs> great, great name there. Very subtle, um, <laughs> and then. I think we, we we both had that similar kind of awakening, I think, towards the end of the first series. We were like, you, you know what, though? Is this actually shit? <laughs> is, is this actually well, a shit no... show? Yeah, there was, that was a, a Gene Roddenberry uh, idea that never got even made into a pilot. Mm. And they kind of found a few of these shows and made them. So there's that one. And then there was Earth Final, Final Conflict. Conflict. Was there Mandy Potemkin? That was another one. No. No, no who am know. I thinking of? Um, who am I thinking of? Kevin, Kevin Klein. No, no, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, what's his name? It's, it, ah, no, hang on, shut up. No, it's not Kevin Klein, it's Kevin Kilner. Kevin, Kevin Kilner, Kilner right. was yes. the lead guy. Definitely and, alliterative, yeah. I got close. I got close. Yeah. But it was that was another one. It was like we watched like a season of it, and it was like after twenty two weeks, it was like, I think this is shit, and we shouldn't watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I we... feel, I feel like uh, Roddenberry was one of those people like Tolkien who it it was like you know what great works while they were alive, but if something didn't get made while they were alive, there was probably a reason for that. You know, Tolkien probably didn't want you to publish the thousands of pages of notes he made as backstory to his book. 
he probably just wanted to do the book. And likewise, if stuff was sat on Roddenberry's desk and it never even got greenlit back in the 60s or 70s when he wrote it, maybe it was better off that way because maybe it just wasn't as strong an idea as Star Trek, um, which is where he was obviously focusing most of his efforts. Someone tell Peter Jackson. <laughs> Let it die. Peter, let it die. And I swear to God, if I hear the word Silmarillion coming out of his his fucking bearded mouth, I'm going to kill myself. And of course, we'll do extended editions of them as well. I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck me twice. Like, that's just... Uh, I can't I felt I was re- <laughs> I felt I was really restrained on The Hobbit, so I'm going to go for six movies on the Silmarillion. <laughs> really get into the weeds. Oh, the worst thing, the worst thing was... I watched all three of those Hobbit films, but the second one I actually watched in the Ultra HD that he, he put out there. And Ultra HD was like double the amount of frames. So we see life in 24 frames a second. It's mm-hmm. 48 frames a second. It just looks like soap. It looked like yeah. a soap on, on film. And I never felt so cheated actually at the cinema. The film was okay, but I actually felt like the experience was subpar. I actually felt the need to kind of go to the front desk and say, I didn't watch a film. I just watched Coronation Street for two hours. Please, can I have my ten pounds back? But anyway, well, I mean, uh, we're getting into the that... a little bit. <laughs> well, maybe, well, maybe in a bit of a tangent here, but I'm enjoying it. I mean, the thing about the thing about frame rate. Yeah. Maybe it's a conversation for another day. But you do notice it. You do notice it. I mean, I remember actually uh, some TV shows specifically. The, they, they were taking out frames so everything looked more cinematic and film-like because that's just what your brain expects to see. It doesn't expect to see people moving like they do in the real world. Um, and when you do, yeah, it makes it look cheaper somehow and just somehow too real, but not in a very good way. We're go- to put it back onto B5, we're going to have a conversation after another big episode in season four. It's not about frame rate, but you'll know <laughs> what I mean when we get to it anyway. That's 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 too much, but just to kind of wrap this up, Chris, and kind of put it back onto um, put it back onto B five, or at least back onto a part of B five. So you're now halfway through, believe mm. it or not. You know you're you're pretty you're one episode away basically from being exactly halfway through the five year run. So it's well, obviously you're enjoying it, uh-huh. but uh, how how have you felt like um, it's changed since that first? We we talked about the pilot. We talked mm-hmm. about uh, obviously there's been a change in music, change in visual style, change in characters. Um, but has the show grown for you? Is it a better show as it's grown? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think what started. I mean, I I only listened to that B five episode again the other day, uh, and I gave I gave sort of a cautious maybe give it a watch <laughs> to people with some heavy caveats. Um, and now I can sort of say midway through season three, I would probably say to somebody, again, if you're unsure, if you're the sort of person who thinks if I have to push through something, I'm not going to push through, maybe watch like the last three or four episodes of season one and then into season two, into season three, because the pace is great. The pace really uh, it keeps up. You you just want to know what's going to happen next you want to you want to follow the plot threads. You really become invested in the characters. Um, you know, maybe what you're losing out on if you don't watch all of season one is getting to know everybody a bit prior. You know, getting to know Londo, getting to know uh, Ivanova and her issues with psychics, um, and how her relationship is going to change with uh, Talia Winters and things like that. 
But again, I think I said this at the time as well, season one feels a lot more like Star Trek. It doesn't look like Star Trek, but it feels like it because there were aliens of the week, there were issues of the week. While there was stuff going on in the background, it wasn't really nearly as arc-driven and focused. And I think that's the great thing. Season two and three are super compact and they're super focused. And for a show that was running, you know, we, we forget now because everything's like 12 episodes, 15 episodes. This was 23 episode seasons, I think, 24 episode seasons. It doesn't feel like there's any filler. Uh, and yeah. and that's remarkable. Even in my most beloved shows, there is filler because, God damn it, it was a huge schedule and you had to... <laughs> sometimes you needed a bottle episode. Or sometimes you just needed oh, yeah. something to 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 fill a fill a gap between some important plot threads, but I really don't feel like there's a single episode I've watched where I've been like, oh, I could have done without seeing it. Uh, yeah, I didn't need that. Yeah. Everything feels important, yeah. and you know uh, we've had uh, an episode. Uh, I want to give a brief mention to actually passing through Gethsemane. Um, oh yes, yes. Which I mentioned I mentioned to you briefly before that I watched a review of an episode. The episode had such an interesting high concept, I couldn't help but be intrigued. And that's really what planted the seed that ultimately got me to to really give B5 a try. Uh, and it was that episode, and the seed, uh, the, the concept is essentially, uh, if somebody commits a particularly heinous crime, their mind is wiped, their memory is wiped, and they truly get rehabilitated in the sense that they get a new personality, and it's generally much nicer. And they get to go out into the world again and... Mm you know be a productive member of society and what it really tackles is you know we know that's the best but as humans we have this really petty desire for vengeance so um you know it's all very fine and well saying the only way we're going to get you know anything useful out of somebody is we send them to jail they become rehabilitated and then they go back into the world as a productive member of society that is the utopian dream However, if you can actually manage that, if you're in this sci-fi world where you can actually wipe someone's brain and actually make them fully rehabilitated in a sense, mm. um, does that then leave you with this feeling of, but I want them to be punished. They did something bad. And even if it's not that personality that did it, and even if they have no memory of doing it, for some irrational reason, this, this feeling in your head says that's not just and it's not right. And it explores it in just the most interesting way and it's this real kind of standalone episode and there's only a few plot points that are kind of pertinent to the overall arc um but you know what in another series might have been filler you know fuck it call up one of our freelance writers get him to knock out something about time travel or everybody seeing their imaginations just go nuts do something sci-fi with it instead they're like let's do a really interesting morality play that is is going to present us with something we've never seen before. Um, yeah, just uh, I've been quite bowled over by the show, um, and and yeah, you know, it it comes with a hearty, hearty recommendation from me that if you've never watched it, you have to. And yeah, you know, either jump in, jump in midway through, and then maybe go back if you're enjoying it, or just go from the start and and kind of put up with the first season that is is not so great um i enjoyed it at the time but i think now having seen season two and three it actually pales further in comparison yeah but it's not to say that it's not enjoyable and that it's not worth a watch 
but you will just have to kind of grit your teeth through a couple of um you know less than perfect episodes i would say yeah i mean that, that's certainly high praise i think the first thing i would say just to let you know as a fun fact because we all like a fun fact love a fun is fact that the episode you mentioned was actually directed by adam nimoy son of oh Leonard. how about that cross <laughs> crossing boundaries <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good, good for you, Adam. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Knocking it out of the park. Absolutely. I mean, it is a it is a fantastic episode. Actually, you've um, yeah, I do want to go back now and watch that again because it is a cracking episode. But I'm I'm so glad that you're uh, enjoying your your trip through uh B five and there's now a whole bunch of stuff for you to get through. And as you said, this is what the halfway point looks like. With what does what does the rest of it look like? So it's very, very interesting to see how you feel about that. Um, yeah. And, um, fan. On you go. sorry, just one, one final thing I kind of want to, uh, yeah, yeah. address as well. Is there, um, a lot of shows see a bit of a tonal shift, um, as, as they go on. And sometimes that's because something wasn't working. So they're trying something new. Um, but again, it happens in B5, but I get this kind of feeling that it was always going to happen, you know, <laughs> that it was always part of the yes. plan. And it's it's represented by the fact that they changed the introduction. So every yeah. season so far has been um, a different voiceover. Uh, every time it's been a different actor uh, and the wording has changed slightly. But most notably, in the first two seasons, it yeah. was Babylon 5 is our last best hope for peace. Um, it, it was a dream given form and it was... You know, it's 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 all these wonderful things, and it's got that kind of utopian, almost Star Trekky kind of edge to it. Mm. Um, where season three starts uh, now, Ivanova's doing the voiceover, uh, and she says, "It was our last best hope for peace, but it failed." <laughs> and yeah. just just that line alone, taking what effectively seemed like the mission statement of your show, and saying it failed is so brave and it's so bold and it just says like the show's different now the show's darker now not grim dark not horrible all the time but just to say you know things have changed our characters are in different times they started off in quite from quite a comparatively neutral safe standpoint and and now they're being dragged into uh you know quite possibly the the biggest war the galaxy has ever seen um yeah. and basically the paradigm has shifted and things have entirely changed. And from a a small nitpicky point of view, <laughs> the uh, voiceovers of the first two seasons always end with the year is what's the year? Twenty two fifty eight. Twenty two fifty eight. Twenty two fifty nine. This yeah. is twenty two sixty. So it was you know the year is twenty two fifty eight. The name of the place is Babylon Five. Now something about that always hit my ear wrong. The name of the place. <laughs> it. I don't know. It just it just didn't sound right. It sounds like something you write as as a teenager, and then look back and think, "Oh, why did I, why did I word that like Actually, that?" Actually, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like a bad advert. Like, yeah. hey, you want to go to this new bar Friday? The name of the place is Babylon Five. <laughs> go there, get drunk, meet some women, happy hour at Babylon Five. <laughs> um, it did it did feel a bit like that, and it felt I don't know, just just something about it was just not hitting it right. But it's now changed to, I think it's. The, the the year of 2230 the place babylon 5 and it's like that's how it should sound it should have a rhythm to it how did no one pick this up in the first two seasons it really sounded it really sounded way off um but well, 
you're going to have an interesting experience with season four and five because it changes again. It'll be <sighs> interesting to hear what you think. Uh, um, interesting to note actually because you you've picked up at a good um it's a good place to actually kind of come to a close is that the episode name is Severed Dreams. Well, what does that mean? Well, Babylon Five is a dream given form, and this this is kind of like the the this plus plus Earth Force or the Earth Alliance rather, which um could have been the best of us right we were the different race to all the others we weren't invested in war we weren't sitting on the sidelines we were trying to better ourselves we we're trying to bring peace to the galaxy and that's failed so it is a severed dream so ah. apparently that is the, so that is the meaning behind the episode title and that is a, a great midpoint and as i said it's exactly almost exactly the midpoint of the whole show's run everything's kind of come crashing down and now they have to rebuild it from the bottom up and that's where we'll see where they go with the shadows and the Vorlons and and what's going to happen with Earth, who knows? We'll find out in another. I can't. Podcast, I can't I'm wait sure. to find out. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. <laughs> but it's going to be fun to kind of listen in on and on you trying all these things again. Uh, Chris, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say about the episode? Um, no, I feel like I'm. Uh, I'm just going to be uh, beating a dead horse at this point, saying that it's really, really good. Um, but you know what? Good pick. Steve, maybe um, <laughs> maybe I'm about uh, t- 28 years too late saying it, but uh, <laughs> um, well, 22, I suppose. But <laughs> well, at least I'm at least I'm not on my deathbed or something like. And you just come up to me like, "Bad Love Five was actually okay." <laughs> and I'd be like, "You fucker!" It was dead, passable. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was okay. Um, Shallow well, and pedantic. Um, no, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm um, glad you enjoy it. I, I want to say just one last thing, and it's a very brief thing because I don't think we have time to dive into it. We uh-huh. will probably dive into it more as you get towards the end of the run. But um, the big change from season one, apart from the effects, is the music. And I think that Chris Frankie's music is um, just terrific. Chris Frankie, who's mm-hmm. a manager, uh, who's German and a member of Tangerine Dream, which is one mm-hmm. of the kind of kraut rock bands of the 80s. Uh, led a led the Berlin Symphony Orchestra through five years of the show, and kind of combined it with some electronica in a really interesting way. Especially, I would say, from season two onwards. Season one is a bit jarring, but season two onwards, the music is is excellent. I think in this episode as well, it really goes well with the 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 visuals, the uh, the the battle scenes in particular. You know, you get the weight of the situation very much across from the music as much as you do from any of the the lines or as, as Chris likes, you know, the, the face acting. Yeah, <laughs> I think there was um, I think there was quite a nice contrast presented as well during the big battle scene where the the space battle is quite fast and frenetic and you're not at all times aware of exactly what's happening because there's lasers firing everywhere and people, you know, Earth cruisers are facing off against Earth cruisers. So everyone looks kind of the same. Um, and then when it cuts back to this sort of raiding party breaching through the hull, uh, all of a sudden it goes into slow motion and, and the music really sort of comes to the fore uh, as as, mm-hmm. as the sort of the sound dies back a bit. Um, as you see, as you said, the Norns just basically doing the only thing they know how to do, which is just throwing themselves in numbers to the slaughter uh, to, um, you know, to to sort of to fight, fight back. And... Um, yeah, it just presents this really good bit of contrast, and it really helps keep the pace, uh, you know, right in in what is actually quite a lengthy battle scene. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, that is fantastic. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I th- 
got a funny feeling what's coming next for me. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to do this right. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we doing? Okay. So it's, um, it's time. It's, it's time for me to, 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 to try again, uh, as, as, as you have so successfully done here. Um, so uh, obviously our original deal was B5 for Doctor Who, so I've got to come at you again with some Doctor Who. Um, I've thought about this a lot because okay. it's 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 difficult and there's 50, 60 years of stuff to, to pick from now uh, in, in terms of the Doctor Who back catalogue. So um, I've decided to leave to leave old Who behind as far as this is concerned. Uh, and I'm okay. going to give you something from the modern re, not reboot, but you know, uh, from the the rebirth um, of of Doctor Who, because I think it'll be a bit easier for you to swallow uh, okay. than the <laughs> than the serials from the 1960s. Um, okay. So, I, you you will have heard of this episode in some way, shape, or form, um, but it is commonly listed as the best of of the newest bunch uh, and it's called blink have you heard of it at all nope so it's uh it's from david tennant's run uh okay. and it's kind of notable because he is almost a background figure in it he doesn't feature in a lot of the episode um and it's just a bit more of a fantasy sci-fi horror episode um, that introduces a new villain that, like most Doctor Who villains, kind of gets done to death later on. So it's really nice to see it when it's first introduced. Um, okay. So that is what I'm setting you. It's available on Netflix for free. <laughs> <laughs> for free? Okay. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll point you to exactly where to find that. But that that is my last best hope for you to somehow enjoy an episode of Doctor Who. It's our last best hope for Steve to like Doctor Who. Because yep. God knows Peter Davison didn't do it. <laughs> Leave him alone. Man, you're always ragging on Davison. He wasn't that bad. He was playing cricket in space. Come on. <laughs> he's no With a he's, Battlestar Galactica helmet. He's no Tom Baker. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it'll, it'll also give me a chance next week uh, or in a couple of weeks' time to talk about Doctor Who and why I loved it and why you didn't. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, to 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 get into the to get into the mythos of that a little bit as well. Sure, I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's okay. fantastic, excellent. But I thought, <laughs> I thought you'd have it. Oh, this is fun. I'm going to keep this in. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> that's all for this episode. We'll be back hopefully in two weeks' time. In the meantime, if you wish, you can keep in touch with us, and we do encourage it. Follow us on Twitter at OBrotherPod. Like us at Facebook dot com slash old brother podcast and uh, finally please subscribe and review on the itunes on stitcher and tune in it really helps us gets us up on the charts brings more people to the show and gives us a bit of constructive feedback um i mean i know that i lived as a teenager uh being the only one who liked babylon 5 <laughs> and now that i have a friend it means a lot to me <laughs> so it would mean a lot to me now if you could bring more people to the show Mm, please by subscribing and reviewing it takes five minutes guys yeah seriously you can even get us uh through through the echo the amazon echo if you know what you're doing oh technology oh <laughs> i like it oh we have to talk about that in the next episode that has to be news nugget next that's week, a news right? nugget <laughs> news nugget technical guard to using amazon alexa <laughs> 
I'm sure people don't use sound like that. Anyway, no. we've rattled on too long. So I've been Steve, he's been Chris, and we'll talk to you next time. Okay, bye.